did everyone get uh, pencil and paper who wanted some? Wanted pencil and paper for kids to, to color? Did any adults need So, apologize for the heat in there this morning. I don't know if you've noticed, it's pretty hot in here. Uh, that is not an evangelism tactic. <laughs> it's the, the heat, the AC, it's all on a schedule. So, uh, no one thought that it would be October 30th, 70 degrees outside. Uh, so, the heat was scheduled to be on today, and here we are. Uh, so, bear with us concerning that. If all the kids want to stand up for a second. Just want to stand up, kids. All right. We have a lot of kids in here. Do we want to just take a moment to get all the wiggles out? So we're going to sit here for like 20 more minutes, and we, we just we need to maybe get all the wiggles out really quick. We just want to kind of wiggle and just kind of get them all out. All right. That's good. Just get all the wiggles out. All right. Well, we are so, so glad that our kids are in here this morning. Um, so, welcome, welcome, welcome. I mentioned the Connect card a few moments ago. Please take a moment to fill that out. If you want any more information, if you want us to let, let us know anything about yourself, or if you want to uh, ask for prayer concerning something, please uh, fill that out. You can turn it in, either in this bucket or in the black box uh, on the welcome table out here. Um, so we're going to be in Exodus 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12. Now, it, it is not lost on me uh, that some might think that Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, that it's a weird uh, sermon series to start out an urban church plant with. I've actually had several several people ask me, why, why would you start off uh, an urban church find the series in the Ten Commandments. Um, and apparently, I guess it's not often seen as a, a topic relevant uh, to urban missions. Uh, but actually, I, I, I hope uh, that we approach this text with a different mindset. I actually think that the Ten Commandments are all about mission. Uh, I, I think they're all about our witness as the people of God to the nations. If you'll remember, we, we looked at a particular text at the beginning of the series, Exodus 19, where God uh, tells, Yahweh tells Israel uh, that, that he was calling them to obedience to his law so that they would be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a, a, a nation peculiar that proclaims uh, his glory to all the nations of the earth. And they're, they're called to be a distinct people, a called out nation that, that witnesses to the rest of the nations of, of uh, the, the glory of Yahweh alone. And that continues in the New Covenant, where we are now. In 1 Peter 2.9, we, uh, we see Peter tell us that, that the church is a holy nation, uh, a, a royal priesthood, bringing back some of that language in, in Exodus 19. And he says that we've been given this identity, uh, he tells us in 1 Peter 2.9, we've been given this new identity as the people of God, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of your Savior. We receive this identity. We receive these commands that form us into a community for the purpose of witness. We've been given this identity and these commands for the purpose of, of witnessing to God's glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these, these commands, they're a large part of what make us different. A large part of what make us distinct. It's a massive part of our witness to the world as, as the people of God. We're giving these ten commandments to be a holy and a peculiar people. Uh, to, that 
declare God's worth and, and wisdom to the nations. And so we're given the first commandment that we looked at the, the second Sunday of the series. Worship the right God. And then the second commandment. Not only worship the right God, but worship Him in the right way. And then the third commandment. Don't, don't take His name in vain. Uh, guard His reputation. Declare His name in, in a way that He is hallowed among the nations. And then the fourth commandment. Be a people of rest. You, you do not earn your identity. You, you do not lift a finger to receive what you have. Uh, just rest. You are a people of rest. And now the fifth commandment. Something we see is, is that the Christian family is different. It's distinct. We're going to be looking at one of the ways that, that that's true this morning. So if you want to stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word, we'll read Exodus 20, 12, and we'll pray. Let's hear God's Word with reverence this morning. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather with your church. Thank you for all the little ones in here this morning. Would you help us to them? Would you help us to submit to your word? Would you help me to submit to your word as I teach? Would you help us, your people, to submit to your word? Lord, uh, if I teach anything that, that is not right or that isn't helpful, would you just help people forget about it? Would you also use me now to, to declare divine truth in a way that's helpful, in a way that's convicting, in a way that's comforting? Lord, would you help the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, our Jesus? Amen. And you can have seen. So look with me. We'll move through this quickly. Look with me at the command and the promise. The command and the promise. Firstly, the command. Obviously, we, in this verse, we find a command. Honor your father and your mother. And this command is this uh, what, what's often referred to uh, the first command of the second table of the Ten Commandments. Okay? So it, it's often noted that there are two tables. There are two, two stone tablets that the Ten Commandments are, are written on. Now, it's, it's very likely that these two tablets were actually two copies of the same Ten Commandments, as was common practice in, in those days, whenever there was a covenant, that they would make two copies, and, and each party would get a copy. And so uh, that, that, that very well might be the case. But nonetheless, the, the way of thinking of, of the first four commandments being the first table of the law, and the, the, second, the, the last six commandments uh, being the second table of the law is very helpful just in regards to how we uh, think about them. The first four commandments are about our relationship to God, how we relate to God, how are we to, to honor and glorify Him. And then the, the last six are about how we relate to, to our fellow man. Uh, we're, we're, we're taught in the first four, how do we love God, which is the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, uh, the, the last six, Tell us how to obey the second commandment. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Which is the, the second greatest commandment according to Jesus. And so even if they weren't originally given with the, the kind of first four being on the first table and the last six being on the second table, that's okay. It's, it's helpful for us uh, as we read the Ten Commandments to think of them that way. And now one of the things that this commandment tells us uh, is, is that God highly values the family. In, our, in the last six, we're told how to relate to our, our fellow man, how to relate to, to our fellow human beings. And, and uh, he begins with looking at how we're supposed to regard our parents, how we're supposed to treat 
our parents. And I think the reason for that is, is, is God highly values the family. It was the, the first uh, institution he established before the church existed, before the, the state existed, before education or anything else existed, there existed the family uh, in Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, you could even think as the family as the first church, the, the first uh, government, the first uh, education. It's, 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 where, uh, it's where people are, are first and foremost discipled. It's, it's where they're first and foremost taught to honor authority. It's where they're first and foremost educated. And that's why the first commandment of the second table here begins with how we relate to our parents. Our relationship with our, our parents is our first and, 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 and most foundational, most formative human relationship, for better or for worse. Our relationship with our parents greatly impacts how we approach every other human relationship. It impacts how we relate to, to leaders and members of our church. It, it, it impacts how we uh, relate in our marriages and with our own children. It, it uh, greatly impacts how we relate to our, our bosses and our co-workers and, and how we relate to police and, and governing authorities. It, it greatly impacts all other relationships. And so we're given this command to, to honor our parents. And St. Augustine points out, if we don't honor our parents, we won't honor anyone. There's no one we'll spare. If we don't honor our parents first and, and foremost. So it behoove us to, to pay attention to this command as God's people. We're told to honor your father and your mother. Uh, this word honor here is actually the same word uh, used uh, for to translate it as, as glory in the Old Testament. And the word literally means like, like weightiness or, or fatness. Uh, it, give, give weight to your parents. Uh, show them respect and, and reverence. You, you can think of it maybe as a scale. If you're, if you're weighing a decision in life, if you're weighing, what, 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 what am I being called to here? What should I do in this particular situation? Let their commands, their desires, and, and well-being outweigh your desires and, and what you think might be best. You, you're to give them preference. Prefer them. Prefer what they think is best over what you believe to be best. Honor your parents. And now, obviously, this looks different in different stages of life. Uh, obeying this command looks different for children, the way that they interact with their parents than, than it does adults. For children, it looks like Ephesians uh, 6, 1, uh, where, where Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So for, for children, and those uh, still at home living with their parents, it, it looks like obeying it's like obeying them, obeying their commands and their wishes, and, and doing so in the Lord. Yeah, doing so in the Lord means recognizing that the authority that parents have over their children is given to them by the Lord for their flourishing, for their good. And so the authority that parents have over their children is a borrowed authority. It's given by God, just as all authority is, because God is the one with all authority. So any human authority, any limited authority is given by Him should be honored uh, because he's the one that gave it. So also that means that children, uh, if, if they're to obey their parents in the Lord, that means that they're not expected to obey their parents uh, if their parents are telling them to do something contrary to God's word, right? If their parents tell their children to do something sinful, children are not expected to obey them. Uh, but when parents tell their children to do something that lines up with God's word, to do uh, something that maybe God's word doesn't address, then the children are to honor and obey their parents. It's, it's, it's what, they're, what they're called to do. So children, honor your parents, obey your parents. It's what's required of children in this command. 
But then parents of little ones, there's also a, a very wonderful and weighty uh, call for you here in this text as well. You've been put in charge of these little ones for their flourishing, for their for their good, and we are, we should not skirt that responsibility. We, we are called to, to require obedience of our children, require obedience from them. That's, that's one way that you can love and serve your children is to require obedience from them. Like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but children are, are foolish. They, they do foolish things. They make silly decisions. And they're counting on you as their parents to guide them and to show them right from wrong, how to live, how not to live. They're, they're depending on you. They're counting on you for that. You're called to require them to be obedient to you. Teach them, train them, require obedience from them. It's, it's not the loving thing to do. Just let them figure it out on their own. That's not, that's not a loving thing to do. I know that that's kind of a popular parenting method today. Maybe kind of overreacting to the past, just letting kids figure it out for themselves. But that kind of time, that is not loving. Children need guidance from their parents. They, they need uh, training from their parents as those who have been put in authority over them. And it's, I, I kind of think of it as like, if, if you've ever had a job where you've had no clear description of what you're supposed to be doing, or, or no clear uh, you know, tasks given to you, no, no clear job description, uh, that, that's just confusing. Uh, that, that is, is uh, that's difficult to, to put up with. It's, it's confusing. It's frustrating. And so as parents, we're, we're not called to do that with our children. We're called to give them expectations and rules and boundaries and be consistent with those. It's a loving thing to do. But I'd also add to that that we're called to just, we're also called to let them be children. We're called to let kids be kids. As you're laying requirements before them, make sure that the requirements you're laying before them are ones that, that, that teach them how to love God and love others, not just what you consider convenient or, or uh, inconvenient or annoying. Don't, don't, don't require your children to never inconvenience you or annoy you. That, that, you're to require obedience from them, but if, if you're constantly yelling at them every time they're loud or every time there's a spill or every time they do something that annoys you, you need to ask yourself whether you're parenting them for their good or for your convenience. We're called to let our kids be kids. They, they're messy. They're loud. They spill food and drinks. They, they do silly things sometimes. And so let them be children. Require obedience from them for their own good, not for your convenience. And that's what this command looks like for children and parents. But it's also relevant for all adults. It's relevant for, for all of us. The majority of us in this room uh, are, are out of the home, but we're still called to something in this command. And your belly button reminds you of love, Stanley Hauerwas said that your belly button is the most ontologically revealing thing about you. Your belly button shows you, you came from somewhere. You have parents. You, you have parents some place, and they're still worthy of your respect and your consideration. So when you're considering big decisions in life, when, when you're considering uh, where, where to live, what career to pursue, where, where to go to school, consider your parents. Uh, consider uh, how you might serve them. Ask, how can I honor my parents in this situation? If you live far away from your parents, call them regularly. Uh, don't just call when you need something either. Call them, check in. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? Don't just call regularly. Visit them regularly. Spend time with them. Uh, to show them that they matter to you. And then in addition to that, and maybe your parents live nearby. Spend time with them. 
to grab lunch with them. Invite them over for dinner regularly. Grab lunch with them. You know, I, I was actually thinking about this this last week. I'm I am the biggest dummy. Uh, I, I, uh, my parents asked our family if, if we would like to go out to lunch with them. And uh, I said, you know what, I just I don't have time. I have to go prepare this sermon about honoring my parents. Uh, and, and immediately when I said that, the, the Spirit just started convicting me and speaking. I, I sensed him saying, really, really, you, you, you're so busy preparing a sermon about honoring your parents that you can't spend time with your parents. So really, we're, we're called to, 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 to honor our parents no matter what stage of life we're in, even if it looks like a difference. We're, we're to give them weight, to give them preference. Consider our parents, whatever it looks like in, in this stage of life. Think about all your parents have done for you. Think about all the late nights that they spent while you were crying or, or screaming or, or or, or out late, not coming home in time for curfew. Think about all those late nights. Think about all the, the wisdom they passed on. Think about all the times they considered you above themselves. Think about all the, all the time, all the money that they spent on, on food and diapers and education and, and diapers and more diapers. There's so many diapers. So think about all, of, all that they've done and all the tender care and sacrifices made for you to have a home and an environment to flourish in. They did it all perfectly, but they, they, they deserve your honor and respect your consideration. Honor your parents. And also consider this. There's, there's likely coming a day that one or both of your parents uh, won't be able to care for or provide for themselves anymore. So you need, you need to think about what are you going to do when that, if and when that day comes? Do, do you plan to honor them? How are you going to honor them when and if that day comes? In fact, the, the only time that Jesus talks about this particular commandment in the Gospels is in Matthew 15, 3-7, and he's rebuking Pharisees for not providing for their elderly parents, instead giving that money to God and, and not providing for their parents in their old age. That's, that's, that's his rebuke concerning this command in, 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 the, Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. There's no doubt that this is a massive issue in our culture today. The elderly are, are, are discarded. People pay them no mind. But listen, caring for, honoring, caring for your parents, providing for your parents in their old age is not the government's job. It's your job. You are to care for your parents in their old age. And I, I don't pretend to know what exactly that looks like in your particular situation. But nonetheless, you, you are called on how are you going to honor them? How are you going to care for them and, and, and provide for them in their old age? Do you, do you have a plan to do that? Do, do you plan to honor them in that time? Your, your calling is to honor your parents, care for your parents in their old age. Now, I'm also very aware that with how many people there are in this room, it's, it may just not be that simple forever. It, 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 it may just not be that sin complicates things. I, I know this. Maybe for you, one of your parents wasn't around. Or maybe for you, your, your parents didn't provide the home, the, the safety, the protection that they were called to provide for their children. Maybe the very people that were called to protect you and provide for you and care for you, care for you most were the very people that abused you and discarded you and 
and, and ignored deeply. I know that it, it may not be that simple for all of us in here to just honor our parents. I, I know that that's true. And if that's where you're at this morning, I, maybe before we even talk about honoring your parents, we need to just talk about forgiving your parents. Maybe that's the first step toward honoring them. Maybe a relationship with them right now isn't in the equation. Maybe it's not possible for them to be in your life. Maybe honoring them in the ways that we've talked about isn't even possible, but you can forgive your parents, and you're called to forgive your parents. And that actually reminds me, I, I'll never forget the first funeral I ever preached in. Uh, it was for a, the, the father of a young woman that was in our the congregation we were part of at the time. And this man, he was, he was just wicked. He was a wicked man. There's no getting around it. There's no praising him for any sort of virtue at the funeral. There's no getting around it. He was a harsh, he was a cruel man, and particularly so with this young woman in our congregation. And so, for some reason, while she was growing up, out of all the children he had, he picked her to receive the majority of the verbal, the emotional, the, the sometimes physical abuse in the household. Just utter wickedness. And later in life, she began to follow Jesus, and, and she just was transformed by God's grace. And she experienced a lot of healing, keep healing, keep grace. She was transformed. She was a new person. And the, and the time came for this gentleman, not a gentleman, this man, he, the time came for him where he could not care for himself anymore. The, the time came for him as he began to die and, and age and, and, and grow ill. She was the only one of his children that cared for him, that provided for him, that took care of all the details surrounding his funeral and, and death. She took responsibility for him. I was just, I was just rocked by it. I, I, I struggled with like, what would give somebody the strength and the grace to be able to do? That? What, what would, what would give someone, what would give her such strength and grace to forgive and then to, to be so kind and when he didn't deserve it, he didn't even apologize. She couldn't forgive. If, if she, if you could talk with her, I think what she would tell you is that this is why she couldn't forgive much because she had grasped how much she had been forgiven in Christ. And because she had forgiven much, she could show this man honor that he didn't deserve and she didn't even get thanks for. And I don't know what would do that other than the gospel verse. So for you, maybe it wouldn't necessarily look the same. Maybe it wouldn't look the same for you as it did for her, but the call for you remains. And I know that there's no one that wounds us, that can, that has the capacity to wound us like our parents possess. There's, there's no one that has the capacity to do that. Hurt runs deep when it comes from our parents because they have such an authority and such a role in our life. And so depending on what your relationship with your parents looks like, honoring them could just simply mean forgiveness. It could just simply mean forgiving them. It, it, it doesn't make what they did okay. It doesn't make it right. But as someone who's been forgiven much, you're called to forgive. So we're called to honor our parents. That's our command. This command doesn't stand alone. But as the Apostle Paul points out in Ephesians 6:2, this first, this is the first commandment with a promise. There's a promise attached to it. And that promise is this: 
that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, remember that, that Israel has been rescued from, from slavery in Egypt, and now they're in the desert receiving God's commands for how their community is supposed to live once they arrive in the land and, and their nation established in the land. And, and he's currently leading them through the desert to the land which he has promised them. And that's what the entire book of Joshua is about, how, how they enter the land. Israel, Israel's receiving the land in Canaan that God promised them. And it's a land of flourishing and abundance. And, and God tells them that there's plenty of milk and honey and wine. And, and the way that God speaks of it, it's, it's supposed to, to remind you of, of how the garden is described in Genesis 1 and 2. It's, it's a place of abundance. It's a land of abundance. It's, it's where the party is at. So that's what he's getting at there. And he tells them, honor your parents, show reverence to your parents, and you will flourish and do well there will flourish and do well there. And of course, in our kind of Western individualistic mindset, we take that to mean, okay, if we honor our parents, and I'm going to live into old age. But that's not what the, this command is, is saying. This command, like the majority of the commands in the scripture, are, are written to a covenant community, a community of people. Uh, and so the, what this text actually means is not saying that, that Bobby Joe will live into old age if he honors his parents. It's saying uh, that the people of God will live long in the land and flourish there as a community if they honor their parents. And that just makes sense, doesn't it? It just makes sense. As uh, Philip Graham Reichen, he's got this wonderful little book on the Ten Commandments, and in it he notes uh, that many American historians believe that there was a significant shift in the 1960s regarding the attitude of Americans regarding authority. The decade of anti-everything, anti-government, anti-school, anti-business, anti-you name it. Most significantly, uh, the, what was heard by this was the, the family. And uh, he quotes Annie Gottlieb uh, as a proponent of this kind of thinking. And, and she says that, that they were the generation, we were the generation that destroyed the American family. She says, we may not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it. And we believe that the family was the foundation of the state, as well as the collective state of mind. We truly believe that the family had to be torn apart, and the first step in doing that was to tear ourselves free from our parents. Reichen notes that what's so chilling about her description here is, is how she makes the connection between uh, the, the family and society. What she's right about, he says, is that the way to destroy a, a, a nation is to destroy the family. And the way to destroy the family is to have children disobey and, and dishonor their parents. And that, that just makes it society can't flourish if the family doesn't flourish. For people to flourish, families must flourish. We don't honor anyone. We don't honor our parents. We won't honor state authorities. We won't honor our bosses at work, we won't honor our, our teachers at school, we won't honor uh, educators or police or church leadership, we won't honor anyone, we don't honor our parents. So the, the strength of the family is what makes the rest of these institutions strong. And so it makes sense as Israel is entering into the land that they will flourish and live long in the land if they honor their parents. The problem is, as we read throughout the Old Testament, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, is that they don't. They don't obey this command or really any of the commands. And they're eventually exiled from the land. They didn't obey this command, and thus they didn't receive the promise. And I also say, we don't either. 
Like, I, there's often this sort of mindset as we read uh, the Old Testament, we look at Israel and we say, man, they're just really dense. You're dense. You don't obey this command. None of us do. That's the problem with the law. Well, not the, the problem is not really with the law. The problem is with us, but, but we don't obey it. We don't obey it. And thus, we don't receive the blessings for obeying it. Another way to receive the promise and blessing is if someone obeys it for us and shares the promise of the blessing with us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He obeys this commandment perfectly. As a child, he obeyed his parents. As an adult, he, he considered his parents. He didn't speak ill of them. He, he, he gave consideration. He, he gave thought to how he might honor them. None of us do that. We don't give thought to our parents. We, we, we speak more. We, we don't give them right consideration, but not Jesus. Jesus honors his parents. In his childhood, he, he honored, he obeyed his parents. In, in, in his adulthood, he, he gave careful consideration to how he might honor them and care for them. And even on the cross, in John 19, 26 and 27, we see Jesus as he's gasping for breath in unimaginable pain. He puts the Apostle John in charge of caring for his mother in his old age. He's even thinking about her while he's in the midst of such pain and anguish. He honored his mother. And even more importantly, we see Jesus honor the Father. In John 14, 31, Jesus says that he loves God the Father and does exactly as the Father commands him. And that's most clearly seen in the fact that he goes to the cross. He obeys the Father and fulfills the mission given to him by the Father completely. He's given a mission of, of going to the cross, securing our redemption, rescuing us from exile with his suffering and his life, his death. And he obeys this mission perfectly. He honors the Father. He loves the Father. He gives weight and glory to the Father to the point of such suffering and death through crucifixion. So now, how, how does this land promise given in this command come to us. We're obviously, we're obviously not Old Testament Israel. We're not a, a kind of civil nation with geographical boundaries. The church is not a civil institution. It's a people made up from every nation, tribe, and language. The church transcends national identity. And so how should we apply this land promise to the Well, now we, we see in the New Testament that, that because of Christ's obedience and righteousness, because he honors the Father and he obeys his law and fulfills it perfectly, he inherits much more than a piece of land in the Middle East. He inherits all, he's given all creation. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, 18 tells us. And one day he will return to take his claim of it and make all things new, restore all things. And all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and our Christ. And he shares that with us if we are in him, if we trust in him. So we don't just get a, a piece of land. We don't just live long life in the land. We live eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. That's how this land promise comes to us in the new covenant. We get all of creation reigning and ruling over Jesus for all of eternity. That's how this land promise comes to us. We get to feast and enjoy life, enjoy Christ forever. We get to enjoy the abundance of creation and creation without corruption. We trust in Christ. 
receives the promise. He receives the blessing. Because he's the only one that's honored his parents. He's the only one that honored the Father. He's the only one that has obeyed this command. So he's the one that gets the promise. He's the one that gets the blessing. In his grace, we trust him. In him, he gives us the promise. He shares his blessing with us. We should probably call us a little prayer. Father, we thank you for the, the gift of your word. Thank you that uh, we're, we're, we're blind people lost in the desert. And you give us your word as a guide. We ask that by your spirit you would help us to, to follow in step with the, with the God. That you would help us to follow your word closely, to obey it. And where we don't obey it, Lord, is often the case where we don't obey. Would you help us to just give that to you, to just hold it before you say, Lord, we, we have sinned, we have fallen short. But we rest in your grace. We rest in the work of Jesus and know that, that we're not justified by our work, but by the work of Jesus. And so help us to trust in him, help us to follow him, help us to rest in him. Lord, we need you and we're dependent upon you. Would you meet with us now as we close down our path and help us to not just be hearers of the Lord only, but doers also. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.